Broadcasting live from Gadget's Go Coaster, it's Contemporary Inc. with me, Bill Blair. So, it's been a while. It's uh, the beginning of August 2023, and I I wanted to upload more. I'd actually prepped a bunch of cards uh, that had been showing up on Instagram and Twitter. I hesitate to throw all that stuff away because Gen Con was just a couple of days ago, and I gotta say, they've blown the lid off Lorcana. It's a whole new world out there. Uh, The initial videos showed long lines, throngs of fans waiting to buy merchandise. All the stuff that's going to be available on the 18th was available. You know, play mats and cards and pins and just everything. And people were lined up out the door. I'm not at Gen Con. I didn't have the luxury of going this year. And I didn't put two and two together that it was going to be a big deal. It wasn't until I started to see people breaking booster boxes on YouTube that I started paying attention. And now I'm hooked. Here's the breakdown. Each Lorcana booster box has 24 packs of cards. And each pack has 12 cards. So each one of those booster boxes comes in at 144 common cards, 72 uncommon cards, 48 rares, super rares, or legendary cards, and 24 foil cards. Individual booster packs have a manufacturer's suggested retail price, or MSRP, of $5.99 per pack. So a box has an MSRP of $144. Despite the hype, Ravensburger was selling them at retail, not making a single extra dime off the throngs of people waiting in line. When I called my local game store, however, they told me that their booster boxes were selling for $249.99 because that's what they've been pre-selling for on eBay. They're not charging MSRP. I called around and the store in the next town over was selling them at MSRP. And my local game store told me that I was more than welcome to uh, drive down the street and pay less there. They decided that they're going to start charging scalper prices on Lorcana because it's in such high demand. And I decided that Despite my hard and fast rule to shop local and to patronize your local game store, I'm going to go a little more far afield to support small businesses. And because I'm shopping at a local game store, the release date is August 18th. If you've had a similar experience, call your local game store about pre-orders and release dates. They should be getting their supply on August 18th. I want to hear what your experiences are down in the comments. One of, if not the most important thing to come out of Gen Con this year are the interviews that we've been seeing with Ryan Miller about Lorcana. Ryan is a game designer at Ravensburger and the chief brand manager for Lorcana. He's also a Disney fan. I imagine that if you gave him a PBR and like a weird hat, You could also cast him as Cousin Eddie in a Christmas Vacation reboot. 
this guy is giving off some serious cool uncle vibes, and I absolutely love it. He seems to actually like the game. They didn't send an actor or a hype guy who had glossed over the rules a few times on the car ride over. They sent someone with a deep understanding of the game mechanics, and he even brought a folio of his favorite cards, like an eight-year-old getting ready for show-and-tell. So his first message is that this game is for everyone. If you're new to the hobby, welcome. If you're a veteran, there's room for you at the table. If you only want to collect and trade, you're going to find interesting things here. This is a game for adults, young people, and most importantly, families. The story goes that the inception for this game started four years ago. Ravensburger has a history with Disney and comes to regular meetings to check in and try out new ideas. After one of these pitch meetings, the team was regrouping at a bar in Glendale, California, and they hatched an idea for a Disney-based trading card game. Not just for one film or one franchise, they wanted something bigger. Ryan says that only Ravensburger could pull this off, and he might actually be right. And I'm not saying that because I'm not agreeing with him because the game is so innovative, but the attention to detail that they've brought to this Disney IP. Disney is an absolute beast with a history that goes back a hundred years. To create a game that goes back to before cartoons even had sound is a huge undertaking. And it looks like they pulled it off. He even goes on to mention that this isn't the first version of the game. That there were a dozen other good games that came and went until this final version that we're going to see in a couple of weeks. Game-breaking flaws would show up during the production process, causing months of work to be washed down the drain in just a few hours. What they did come up with, though, is pretty impressive. I don't know how far they're going to go with this, but I think they've really tried to put together a backstory for the game that you're going to be able to follow with this first release. I remember in my early days with Magic the Gathering, the card's flavor text hinted at this schism between Urza and Mishra, and I never saw the conclusion to that. I dropped out. But here we see a story evolving uh, with the storyborn, and so... The narrative goes that the Great Illuminary is a depository for every story ever told. And it holds these stories so that they will not be forgotten. Suddenly, one day, the Illuminary is abandoned. The Lumineers that maintained it vanished, and no one knows why. The Illuminary itself calls out to the people of our realm, the players for help. Those who answer the call are transported to the Illuminary, where they learn the magic of Lorcana. This magic uses ink to summon glimmers of characters from Disney stories. A glimmer is a magical snapshot of a character that exists from a singular moment. Originally, they were used to better understand stories and where they came from, but now they will aid you on your quest. This is adorable and I love it. It's convoluted enough 
that you can twist it into a million different variations, but simple enough that it can be described in a single paragraph. You're not going to need the trade paperback to figure this one out. They can run with this plot for years before shifting gears into something else, and I love how it represents the different aspects of your favorite characters. You can see a lot of these cards with a quick Google search, but we're going to look into a few quick examples. Ariel, the Little Mermaid, is listed as Spectacular Singer. She's storyborn. She's presented from that moment in the film that we're all familiar with, where she sings with her fish friends. You know this version of the character. You can empathize with her position in that exact moment. And her ability to sing lets her use song cards that would be normally above her ink cost. She even searches the deck for song cards when brought into play. The theming is intense here. I grew up and was lucky enough to be a young person during what's widely referred to as the Disney Renaissance, and The Little Mermaid was right in the beginning of that. So I've seen this film, and you probably have too. Drawing on these very familiar moments of Ariel are welcoming. People that want a direct one-to-one representation of their favorite films with the cards that they can play with are going to get everything they want here. If you want to build a princess deck with all your favorite princesses, you can do it. On the other hand, we have Scar, villain from The Lion King, fiery usurper. This dreamborn version of Scar is literally made out of lava. I'm not exaggerating. He's made from liquid stone. This didn't happen in The Lion King. There's no room for it in that movie. This dreamborn character is literally that, a figment of fancy. His craggy skin and glowing claws have never existed in Disney before. You're seeing it for the very first time. I imagine building an entirely dreamborn deck something pulled from the depths of Walt's fevered imagination. Now, Ryan admits that he had to pull rank to get the sword in the stone included in this first draft, but some other deep cuts are also included in the 204-card set. Apparently, there's a Treasure Planet card begging the question, just how deep does this rabbit hole go? We've seen Steamboat Willie, But what about Maggie from the 45th Disney animated film Home on the Range? When will she mosey on over from the Dixon Ranch? Another bold move they've made here is to print foil cards for every card. If you want to collect all 204 cards in regular or foil, you can do it. You can build a deck that's nothing but foil cards. In multiple interviews, Ryan jokes about blinding your opponent with a playmat full of foil cards. Someone at Ravensburger thought that was hilarious and feeds into the dad joke vibe that he's giving off. By introducing so many foil cards, they offer something for everybody. Because there are so many glimmers of each character, they can be placed all over the rarity scale. We've already seen the collectability of rare Elsa cards, 
It would be a shame for such a popular character to be locked behind a $5,000 play wall. There is, without a doubt, an Elsa card for everyone, or an entire Arendelle deck if you want. I know what people collect with Pokemon, and it's mostly hollow cards, but what if your favorite Pokemon isn't Charizard? What if it's Scovillain? Then what? You're kind of left out in the cold. But with Lorcana, you can cram as many Horus and Jasper foils into your deck as you want. An editor's note, I know there's a Skullvillain holo card. Don't at me. Another nod to accessibility is the way they distribute the rare cards. Ryan is on record as saying the more rare the card, the more complicated its play can be. Starter decks have limited play features to give new players an easier time with the hobby. But those two uncommon cards you pull from each pack might have more complicated rules. You don't have to play with them, but it's likely that more experienced players will have more time with the secondary market. They might flock to the nuanced gameplay offered by super rare and legendary cards. When asked about his favorite cards, Ryan will often pull out a small binder of cards that he finds the most amusing. The brave little Taylor Mickey promo is in there, and he points out the clever sewing puns worked into the flavor text. He also shows off a Tinkerbell card that says, Sometimes all you need is a little tactical genius. This dreamborn Tinkerbell is dressed in tiny armor cobbled together from Wendy's sewing kit, and her power is to exert herself and to draw a card, then discard a card. This powerful ability from a common lets you swap out garbage for something fresh, or take a chance that you might get something better from the top of your deck early in the game. A lot has been said about how great these cards look, but seeing the card box breaks the last few days has been amazing. Each pack comes with a foil card, and the foil application is next level. I was talking about Ravensburger's attention to detail earlier, but what they've done with these 204 foil cards is stunning. It's hard to get a real sense over a YouTube screen, but the locations and color that they apply the foil to speaks to the craftsmanship that's going on here. It'll be a few weeks before I can get to my pre-orders to see for myself. I'll let you know how it goes. The Pringles chip effect you've seen on Magic cards has been mitigated by a cold foil process that I'm told reduces curling and increases the creative freedom when it comes to foil application. It's good to know that they've been listening to the community and taking notes about the things that we value. On that note, I'd like to address the rampant speculation in the secondary market. I told you that I had an uncomfortable conversation with my local game shop, but that attitude is not just living down the street from my house. It's on eBay, Mercari, and likely your local game store. Some people see the financial gains that can be made on the backs of people's fandom as an invitation to make a quick buck. A 1998 Pokemon Core Booster Box sells for about $15,000 right now. But in 1998, it had an MSRP of $90. There was a series of games on the Game Boy, a TV show, a flood of merch from Japan, 
And 25 years later, we can say that the Pokemon card game was a hit. It's easy to understand why people would want to be the beneficiary of those same kinds of gains from Lorcana. I think what they fail to understand is how Pokemon, despite enjoying huge popularity in Japan, was almost unknown in the United States in 1998. Compounded by the early days of the internet, Pokemon wasn't a sure bet, and adaptation was slow. I actually passed on the trading card game in 2000, when a Charizard was about 50 bucks. It was a little rich for my blood when I was making 4.25 an hour. That was a day and a half's wages at Hardee's. Now the same card goes for $10,000, and I'm kicking myself for not buying every one I could lay my hands on. The folly here is that Disney is already established, and there is no scarcity. Everything they touch is going to be printed in the multi-billions, till everyone has one. Worms at the bottom of the Mariana Trench have starter decks. No one in Bob Iger's office is clutching their pearls, wondering if they're going to have to dump unwanted Gantu foils in the Hudson River. Who knows what adventures we'll have between now and when the game becomes unprofitable. And that's it. That's all I have. I hope to upload more regularly that cards and information have become available. Please enjoy yourselves. Play games with your friends and family. I should have a mini sewed up shortly. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you later. <laughs>